Welcome back to the Double Move. Uh, this is Ram. I'm recording another episode for you guys. I know it's been a few days um, since the last episode. I said that we were going to be a little bit better at recording more regularly, and I completely lied to your faces. So I do apologize. Continuing to try to improve, but uh, as of right now, things are hectic, and there is just too much going on for me to take a minute to record an episode, so I do apologize. But we're back here, and without further ado, I'm going to get right into it, because I got some sports to watch, and I really just need to get this episode recorded before anything interesting starts happening tonight, because there's so much going on in the sports world, and we're going to get right to it. The first thing I want to talk about, obviously, as usual, is baseball. And as soon as we're done with baseball, I'm jumping right into basketball. As soon as I'm done with basketball, jumping right into hockey. And then we'll be done for the day, at least. Okay? First thing, I gotta say. <laughs> it's 422-22, okay? April 22nd, 2022. It's a Friday, so happy Friday, y'all. If y'all listening, happy Friday, happy weekend, whenever you're listening. Um, all this information is gonna be for the last three days. So anything that's happened in the last few days... Um, Basically because I already covered information up to that point in my last episode. So, back with it. Also, before I actually get into the information, I do want to let you guys know. Our next episode, or second to next episode, so either the next one or the one after that, depending on if I have time to record another one, will be a NFL Draft Special. The NFL Draft Special on April 28th. We're going to be recording a podcast while the draft is going on. We're going to be watching the draft and talking about everything that happens in the draft as it happens. It's going to be an insane episode, probably really long. But if you guys are super interested in football, listen to what we have to say about these players as they get picked. And we're going to have a lot of fun with that. So that's why I'm completely excluding NFL from this episode and probably the next one because we're going to have so much to talk about in that episode, football related. All right, right to it. Sorry about the delay. Two minutes of BS. I apologize. First thing on my agenda is Mr. Freddie Freeman. Now, everybody was wondering whenever Freddie Freeman went from the Atlanta Braves to the Los Angeles Dodgers, what was that going to do for the trajectory of this man's career? Obviously, he was the face of the franchise in Atlanta. He was their starting first baseman, MVP candidate every year, MVP one year, absolute stud with the bat, absolute stud with the glove. The dude is an all-around gem I would say five-tool player. I don't know what you classify speed as nowadays, but I would say Freddie's... Uh, he's not slow. Um, he's definitely got the defense. He's definitely got the all of the hitting attributes, that's for sure. Um, I would say, I mean, Freddie's not going to get you bags, now, granted. So uh, maybe a four-tool player, I guess. But, I mean, the dude can play straight up. So as far as uh, Atlanta was concerned, they thought that if they shipped Freddie off, got a younger version of him with Matt Olsen, obviously not to the same level, uh, Matt Olson's really been showing out. Now, do I think that's sustainable? That's a different topic. But right now I'm talking about Freddie Freeman. And I think that the dude is just going to tear it up. I mean, Freddie's got a few more years left in his prime. I feel like by the time he's done with the Dodgers, like in his last maybe year or two with the Dodgers, they're going to wonder why they're paying him so much money because I don't think he's going to be as effective But this year, Freddie Freeman is going to be one of the best players in the league, as he has been for the last few years for the Braves. So... What the Dodgers got in Freddie Freeman is a guy that can hit at the top of their order, somewhere in there, maybe two, three, four, 
five if you really want to with that stacked lineup. Freddie's going to get on base. Freddie's going to drive in runs. Freddie's going to go yard. And Freddie's going to be surefire defense every single day he goes out there. Now, Freddie Freeman particularly plays better against the Atlanta Braves. That, that's basically the, what I was getting into, is that Freddie Freeman absolutely just dismantled the Atlanta Braves. So he goes from being on the Braves to going to the Dodgers and now being the Braves kryptonite with the Dodgers because he literally hits off of any of their pitchers on the staff because he just saw them for the last however many years. Freddie went yard at least twice. I watched it happen twice. So I don't know if he hit more than two homers in that series, but the games that I watched, both games, he went yard. And he was getting walked a lot. They were scared of this guy. Freddie Freeman could be the difference in a series between the Dodgers and the Braves, if that were to happen again this year, a little repeat of last year, the Dodgers are winning that series. Now that they have Freddie Freeman, the Dodgers have made themselves the clear superior team. If they weren't already, now they're more of a powerhouse than the Braves as is, but the Braves were able to wiggle their way through the Dodgers last year. They're not going to be able to do that this year. Okay. So you have a, a very similar lineup to what you had last year for the Braves. Obviously got Darno behind the plate. Now Matt Olson at first base, which I still am going to say, despite the hot start that Matt Olson's on, is a downgrade from Freddie Freeman. Uh, Ozzy Albies, one of the best second basemen in the league. Dansby Swanson started off absolutely horrible this year. I have no idea what's going on with Dansby Swanson. Austin Riley, MVP candidate in my opinion. Outfield's going to eventually be Ronald Acuna. Probably, um, I, I would say Ozuna's going to DH for them when Acuna comes back because he's not very good defensively. But they're definitely going to have Duvall out there. And I'm pretty sure they're going to have, um, I'm pretty sure Rosario is the other guy I've seen out there for them. Uh, they do have Heredia as well. Uh, I, I don't mind Heredia at, at all. Uh, I think he's a solid player as well. But uh, the Bra- I, I mean, just top to bottom, Braves is a good lineup, right? Uh, Max Fried. Great ace to have on your staff. I mean, he's he's a, he's a great pitcher. Um, you know, Charlie Morton, he, he's that veteran presence. He's been pretty bad this year so far. I, I think it's just a rocky start for for uh, Morton, which is uncharacteristic of, and uncharacteristic of him, especially since um, not just because of who he is, but because the veteran pitchers seem to be the ones that got it all figured out this early in the season. And for uh, Charlie Morton, I mean, to be struggling the way that he is, I, I'm just very confused because most of the guys that are struggling right now are the younger guys that are still trying to figure it out because they haven't had a lockout like this to experience before and to come back from. But with um, Charlie Morton, I'm, I'm quite confused because I feel like he'd be one of them rock steady guys, kind of like a Kershaw, Verlander, you know, put him right in that mix. And I feel like he'd be a guy to be able to do it for you right away, uh, despite all of the, you know, uh, delays in the season and then the limited spring training. I just feel like he's a true professional. He's been doing it long enough. I feel like he would come out ready to go. But that hasn't been the case for Mr. Uh, Mr. Morton. So. I'm not worried about the Braves. I still think the Braves are a playoff team. No questions asked. I, I mean, they're definitely doing better than the Phillies so far this year. They have struggled certain games, you know, just like the Phillies. Uh, <clears throat> but, um, yeah, as far as the NL East goes, I mean, I just feel like the Braves are still going to be a playoff team. You know, the Mets are a question mark. Uh, they got off to a really hot start. Phillies got off to a really slow start. Still another question mark. But I think the Braves out of those two, three teams is the most likely to guaranteed make it in. Uh, unfortunately, I have to say that about the Phillies. Uh, I, even over the Mets, I would say. So moving forward with that, I just want to say if they do play the Dodgers in the playoffs, just look out. I just want to say I told you so. 
the Dodgers are going to are going to mop the floor with, floor with the Braves. Now the Braves have the ability to beat the Dodgers one every maybe three four games. The Braves are going to get destroyed in that series. Okay, that's I, I'm saying Dodgers in five if that's our series that happens in the playoffs. I'm saying Dodgers in five, and that's not even including possibly some some uh, free agent acquisitions or not free agent uh, free. Uh, Trade deadline, sorry, acquisitions by either of those teams. I think the Dodgers go hard every year. They got plenty of prospects to make those kind of moves, get some impact bats in the lineup, whatever they think they need, maybe some pitchers, maybe some bullpen. Who knows what the Dodgers are thinking? I, I think their bats are good enough, but you never know with injuries. Somebody in the lineup could get hurt at some point in the season. They need to fill that spot. So, and, and same thing with the Braves. I mean, obviously, anybody can use an impact bat or another pitcher in the rotation for depth starting pitchers or anybody out of the bullpen. I mean, it's just going to come down to who has the prospects and who's willing to make those moves to try to put it, put all their eggs in one basket and try to win it all this year. That's the thing with the Dodgers is every year it seems like, oh, they're going hard making these moves. Da, 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 da. Well, guess what? Their prospect pool is so deep that they're never running out of prospects. They have an endless supply of pieces to trade away to get these kind of players to make their baseball team even better. And that is why I truly hate the Dodgers with all my heart. I have a passionate hate for the Los Angeles Dodgers because they are so good. And that is the only reason I hate the Dodgers, okay? It's because they're so good. And to me, that's annoying, okay? A lot of people are like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're a good team. I know they're a good team. I understand that. They're, an, they're a great team. But I hate them. <laughs> so let's just, just bear with me here with my hate for the, for the Los Angeles Dodgers. I apologize to you Dodgers fans out there. But it's just, hey, I'll admit that they're good. I'll admit that they're stacked. Everybody can see. On paper, they're loaded. And they play like it. So... People thought they got off to a rocky start. Huh, you didn't catch that pun, did you? The Rockies put a job on them. But I, I don't think the Rockies are that legit. I, I, I like the Rockies. I've seen them play enough now this season to say, yeah, they're a good team. I don't think they're a playoff team. I'm, I'm confident in that. I don't think the Giants are a playoff team, despite how good their pitching rotation is. I don't think they're a playoff team. So moral of the story, I think the Braves are getting in and the Dodgers are getting in. And if they end up playing each other, all I'm saying is that the Braves are in trouble and they're going to wish that they would have kept Freddie Freeman. Because how do you know what Matt Olson's going to give you? What you do know as the Dodgers um, is that Freddie Freeman is going to shell. Freddie Freeman is going to shell Atlanta Braves pitching. He is going to put on a show every time he goes out there unless you intentionally walk him every time he comes on the plate. So I just feel like that's the X factor that the Dodgers needed to not have an issue with the Atlanta Braves in a playoff series again. Now, they didn't have any issues with the Braves until last year. But I'm just saying I don't think that's ever going to happen again now that Mr. Freeman is a Dodger and he's wearing Dodger blue and playing for his hometown team. I just feel like that is a dream come true for Freeman. And I love to see it. I, I still can't get used to seeing him in that Dodger blue, but I think it's going to look better on him as the season goes on. And like I said, Dodgers Braves in the playoffs, the Braves do not have a chance. They're going to win one game in that series. And that's if they even win a game. The Dodgers are a superior team to the Braves as of now. Like I said, if they weren't already, but now that they have Freddie playing against Atlanta, I just feel like if that series happens, the, the Dodgers are already proving themselves after just playing the Braves the way they did. They're, they're, they're levels above. It's not even a comparison between those two teams. The Braves can steal one every few games, but that, there is no comparison between those two teams anymore. Last year, there was. This year, no, no, no. Braves can't compete with LA. That's all I'm saying. Moving on. Next topic at hand is going to be a quick one. I just wanted to throw it out there because it's hilarious. So, actually, it's bullshit. Let me just say. Tyler Stevenson, catcher for the Cincinnati Reds. He gets run over by a freight train named Luke Voigt. 
former Yankee, now Padre, first baseman, Luke Voigt. This boy was running from third base to home plate trying to, you know, I guess beat the throw or whatever. He elbows Tyler Stevenson in the head and just smashes him and just lays him out, dude. Like, he, this, the, Luke Voigt is a big boy. Like, this guy is upper 200s, almost 300 pounds, if I say. Like, he's a big guy. Probably 260, 270, if I had to guess. This dude runs him over like a freight train and gives the poor boy a concussion. The, the Reds are on a huge losing streak. The last thing they need is to lose one of their three actual decent players. Okay? So that's, I mean, come on, man. Like, that sucks. India's hurt. Stevenson now? I mean, you're sitting at a broken Joey Votto and, and, and a hot Tommy fan. That's all you have in Cincinnati right now. Cincinnati fans should be, oh my God. Well, so, so they should be upset about their offense, but for their pitching staff to be doing what it's doing with as bad of a team as they have, I mean, you gotta get excited about Hunter Green. Tyler Malley just got shelled by the Dodgers, but that is one of the best pitchers in baseball right there. Top 20, I would say. Malley and Green and and Lodolo, and I mean, you got some stuff to be excited about if you're a Reds fan. I I feel like all the comments made by their owner and all that stuff is kind of BS. But the Reds have some potential to come back from where they're at right now. Yeah, they let Cassianos go. Yeah, they traded Winker to to Seattle. Okay, they lost Eugenio Suarez to Seattle as well in that. Um, there are more guys that they lost, obviously. You know, it wasn't just three players. You know, they they literally gave Wade Miley away to the Cubs, I believe. Uh, and then Sonny Gray, they shipped him off to Minnesota. I mean, they cleaned house pretty much. But I like Kyle Farmer. I like Senzel. I like Aquino. I've always liked Aquino. Brandon Drury can get hot. You got Votto in there, like I said, if he gets his shit together. You got a all-star second baseman in India when he's healthy. And you have an all-star level catcher in Tyler Stevenson. The Reds are not as bad as, you're, as you think. And I think they still have Moustakis too. But the Reds are not as bad as you think they are. They're playing bad to start the season. But this is a team that's, in my opinion, still better than the Pittsburgh Pirates. And possibly, possibly, possibly at the same level as the, as the Chicago Cubs. So as the season goes on, look at that division. The Cardinals and Brewers are the playoff teams in that division. The other three teams are right around the same level of talent. Not talent, a level of being able to win ball games. Okay, not talent because obviously the Pirates probably have the most talent in that farm system compared to these other two teams. But that's debatable. And none of them are playoff teams, clearly. But I'm just talking, you know, as far as building for the future, I think the Reds are more on their way than you think. Now, look, I actually... Let me take that back. The Cubs are above the Reds, but just because of Sia Suzuki. That's it. Just because if you take Suzuki out of the equation, I think the Reds might be a better team. But Suzuki, the the Reds don't have anybody like Sia Suzuki. The way Suzuki's playing right now, he's not going to keep up the same pace he's playing right now. But he's your NL Rookie of the Year. I, I know I had said in the past episodes that I was doubting Sia Suzuki. The more I watch this guy play, the more I love his game. So, Sia Suzuki, I think, is a lock. If you guys want to throw that bet in for Rookie of the Year, I'm saying Sia Suzuki 100% is going to be your Rookie of the Year. Unless the boy gets hurt, which let's hope he doesn't get hurt. All right. So, now, Hunter Green 
is a guy that we do want to talk about a little bit. This guy is getting a lot of attention, and understandably so. He deserves the attention. Hunter Green is a flamethrower. When this guy's on the mound, this is must-see TV. It really is. So for Hunter Green to be out there for Cincinnati, that gives those fans something to see and something to look forward to. When you see Hunter Green and Jonathan India out there on that baseball diamond, that's your future right there. That is your future right there if you're a Cincinnati fan. That's your future ace and your future superstar player batting in the middle of your lineup or at leadoff like he is. That's your team. Joey Votto was your past and present technically, but your present and your future is Hunter Green and Jonathan India. Long term, not as much for Hunter Green as we said. Guys that throw that fast are prone to injury. He might not have a long career, but when he does play, when he is out there, he is going to be electric and must-see TV. So Tyler Stevenson, shame on, on, on Luke Voigt for running him over. But Tyler Stevenson, he, he, it's a concussion. He'll be back. I, don't, I didn't hear that anything else was bad. Anything else was injured for Mr. Stevenson. So I do feel like Tyler's going to come back. He's still going to be a top 10 catcher in the league. Possibly top 5 with the bat in his hands, in my opinion. So Tyler Stevenson, wish you well, buddy. You're going to be back better than ever. Having a hell of a year so far. Good luck to Tyler Stevenson on a speedy recovery on the concussion. Jonathan India, obviously, I think it was a leg, a hamstring maybe issue that he's having. When he comes back, it's going to be Jonathan India. You know, he had a slow start a little bit compared to what he was doing last year. But I think long term this season, India is still going to be their best player, best hitter at least. And, and definitely their best defender. But Hunter Green, man. That's something to get excited about. Watching this guy, I've watched both his starts so far. He's starting again about uh, 20 minutes from now for the Reds. They're actually interviewing Joey Votto on my screen right now about Hunter Green. So if you guys want to tune into that, if you do happen to listen to my podcast at some point tonight, the Reds game may still be on Apple TV. So if you guys want to watch the Reds play, um, yeah, I mean, Hunter Green's on the mound. So try to watch him. I mean, if you guys haven't seen him, at least look up his clips, his highlights. He's got an amazing fastball and a ridiculous slider. So um, just check him out. He's got lights out stuff. He's going to be a stud as long as he can stay healthy. Um, moving on, just a little shout out now that we're talking about pitchers. I want to shout out Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer's looking vintage. Well, that's what we expected. He struggles in first innings. He, he, at least he did against Philly. But after that, he just gets better as the game goes on. Um, the longer Max Scherzer's in the game, the more dangerous Max Scherzer becomes. You know how normally hitters get like kind of a feel for a pitcher the more at bats they get the more pitches they see from that pitcher and uh are able to kind of uh figure it out as the game goes on and 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 hit off a guy maybe the second or third time through the order more so than the first time through the order instead of jumping on him they they get to see his stuff get a feel for him and then be able to hit the ball the difference is max scherzer figures out the hitters figures out how to attack them strategizes and then does it and he takes them out one by one. He takes them down. He sits them down, literally. Strikeout, strikeout. So Max Scherzer outsmarts his, his opponent. The guy in the batter's box doesn't ever know what to think when Max Scherzer's throwing heat. And Max Scherzer just puts everybody down, man. He is just an absolute lights-out pitcher. Still would take Kershaw over Scherzer. Like I said, if anybody still wants to pick up that debate, I'll, I'll get you on that. Uh, Kershaw and Scherzer, absolute studs. Verlander, he hasn't had another start since last time we had an episode, so I don't need to talk about him. Obviously, he's looking great. A guy that's trending down is Garrett Cole, the ace for the New York Yankees. I think it was a career low five outs, I think I saw, <coughs> for Garrett in his last start. 
He got yanked against the Tigers in the first or the second inning. Garrett Cole's having a tough time this year, guys. Uh, he, he's been having a tough time ever since the whole sticky stuff and his uh, spin rate went down and everything. I don't know about Garrett Cole, guys. I mean, I have as much faith in Garrett Cole as the next guy because I love Garrett Cole ever since he was a pirate. But, like, come on, man. Come on, man. Like, what is going on? Do you guys even think Garrett Cole can bounce back from this? You know, like, I, I just I don't like what I've seen from him lately. You know, this year and even towards the end of last year and especially in the playoffs last year. Oh, my God. Um, so I don't know what to think about Garrett Cole. I'd love to hear a, Na- a Yankees fan perspective. Do you think Garrett's going to be okay? You guys wish you wouldn't assign him to that long contract. Is he still the ace of your staff? You got Severino coming up, you know, looking vintage. You got uh, Nestor Cortez, who's who's blowing people away. Um, I mean, dude, I, I don't know. I don't know what I think about the Yankees anymore. If they don't have Garrett Cole looking like Garrett Cole, I'm worried. You know, I, I feel like I, I called them out as a playoff team, but that's assuming that Garrett Cole was Garrett Cole. And Zach Wheeler for the Phillies don't look like Zach Wheeler right now. Okay. And um, there's a lot of pitchers out there that I'm actually literally concerned about. And it's because they're, they're not young guys. They're veterans. They've been in the league. Their preparation should be as good as anybody, but they're struggling. And yeah, it's early in the season. Yeah, it could be just the, the lack of spring training, but I'm there's multiple names that I'm genuinely worried about. And a guy that I don't think will bounce back from what he, what just happened in his last start is Dallas Keuchel for the Chicago White Sox. Dallas Keuchel got absolutely shelled. I was watching that game. I almost didn't believe what was happening in front of my eyes. Cause when I remember Dallas Keuchel, I remember when the dude was a stud, you know, he was setting people down, you know, um, ground ball specialist, you know, uh, Dallas Keuchel's an effective starting pitcher in Major League Baseball. Was one of the better pitchers in baseball for a little while. Dallas Keuchel don't look like Dallas Keuchel. I can tell you that right now. The guy gave up like 10 runs. Like, I'm not even making this up. In like literally, he pitched one inning and then into the second. I don't even think he got an out in the second inning. He gave up like 10 runs and then he got yanked. Like, bro. They were playing the Guardians. <laughs> I was like, bruh. I was concerned. I was actually concerned. That might have been the worst start for any pitcher yet this year in baseball. So I'm genuinely concerned because Dallas Keuchel, if I remember here in the broadcast correctly, he didn't make their postseason roster last year. He was, he was so bad towards the end of the regular season, they didn't even let him pitch in the rotation in the playoffs last year because he was so shaky. It was so inconsistent that they couldn't rely on Dallas Keiko to start a playoff game. That's what I remember hearing anyways. Don't quote me on that. I didn't do my research to find out if that actually is the truth. But Dallas Keiko just doesn't look like Dallas Keiko. And if you give up 10 earned runs and only pitch an inning, I mean, a manager like the White Sox have in Russo, they, they, dude, you're done, bro. I don't, I don't see him getting another chance, man. I honestly think this dude's done. So even if they do give him another chance, I mean, Dallas Keiko, man, how do you have any confidence in yourself after something like that? Yes, he's a crafty veteran, but oh my God. 10 runs, bro? <laughs> in one inning. All right. Yo, um, speaking of savvy veterans, you got to talk about Miguel. 
Cabrera. He's still one hit away from 3,000. I've been watching every Miggy at bat for the last, like, two days. Trial before today. Yeah, it does. Uh, Yeah, trying to see that hit number 3,000, that iconic 3,000 hit for Miggy Cabrera. And I just know the first one I don't watch, he's going to hit it. So let's just, I'm not going to watch it tonight. You'll see if he hits it. But Miggy, dude, he was like four away and then he had like three hits in one game and then he comes up his last at bat. I turned the game on and he freaking, I think he whiffed. And then the next game he comes up, whiffs, comes up. Well, no, he comes up, flies out to left field, then comes up, whiffs, comes up, whiffs again. <laughs> and then the next time he comes up, the Yankees are like thinking, not against us. And they intentionally walk the boy and they don't give him the chance to get 3,000 against them. So now he's fighting for it tonight. I think Biggie eventually here, hopefully, he's going to get that hit. I think, I think it's almost a guarantee at some point he's going to hit one more, uh, get one more hit this season. So yeah, we'll see when Miggy gets it, but we're excited to see it. I uh, just want to see if he does it on a home run because they're saying about how his first one was a homer thousand was a homer i think i just some crazy shit so you never know um so yeah we'll just have to see if if miggy gets that hit and how how iconic is it gonna be is it gonna be one of the ones that goes into his career highlight reel like look at that ball go <laughs> you know i don't know we'll see uh but love miggy um and y'all wish the best of luck getting that hit tonight hopefully um let's see here uh Kevin Gosman, oh boy. <laughs> I was I should have I should have kept talking about pitchers earlier. Kevin Gosman is lights out, baby. I don't know if you guys saw this performance that Kevin Gosman just put together against the White Sox. Uh Red Sox. <laughs> Sorry. I was looking at the Cardinals and I was like, why did I say White Sox? But so Kevin Gosman was pitching against the against the Boston Red Sox, and this dude was absolutely filthy. Kevin Gosman was just, oh my god, as efficient as you can be. Dude had like 86 pitches after eight innings or something. Like, bro, he was it was the most efficient start I've seen by anybody yet this year. The fact that he was able to pitch into the ninth inning. I don't think anybody's done that this year. So, props to Kevin Gossman. He had his stuff. And he's, I mean, <laughs> I already said at the beginning of the year, I mean, yeah, Gossman was a, was a uh, Cy Young candidate last year for the, for the Sanford Giants, but now he went to the Blue Jays. And I was like, ah, he, he wasn't looking like himself the first two starts. I was a little skeptical. I said so in my last episode about him and Barrios. Well, since my last episode, him and Burrios both had another start and looked great. They didn't look, they looked like they're getting back on track. So I'm no longer worried about Kevin Gossman or Burrios. And therefore, I'm not as worried about the Blue Jays. I think they got three studs there that can consistently win you ball games in Barrios, Gossman, and Manoa. And then, you know, the only sketch guys in that rotation now are Hyunjin Ryu and, and Yusi Kikuchi. I don't think either of them are as good as they're getting paid as. So I just feel like that's a waste of money for the Blue Jays to have those two guys in there when I think they would have got better production just hanging on to Steven Matz from last year. So now Matz is with the Cardinals, and I think he pitches tonight. I just, I don't know, man. It's just like it's everybody's moving all over the place. It's hard to keep track of anymore. But Kevin Gosman has moved so many different teams in his career, and ever since he changed his, like, style, he's been absolutely 
lights out. Like, Kevin Gosman has been one of the most consistent and good starting pitchers in baseball, and he has a nasty splitter. Oh, my God. He puts dudes away with that splitter, man. I mean, him and Montes have the best splitters in the game. Kevin Gosman and Frankie Montes. Dude, those two guys have, like, their best pitch is their splitter, in my opinion. That's their put-away pitch. And the whiff rate that they get on that pitch... Oh my god, love it. So, last baseball topic and then we're moving on to NBA. The last thing I want to talk about for baseball is the man himself, the big fish, Mike Trout is coming back, baby. Mike Trout's playing tonight against the Baltimore Orioles. Let's see if he can go yard. We were all worried about him. We want Mike Trout out there every single day. The fact that he got hurt broke my heart, but Mike Trout is back, and I hope that he just goes yard tonight. Just gets right back on track. I love it. So, yeah, I mean... Mike Trout, best player ever, you know, best player this generation, uh, the GOAT. He is back on the field, and let's just see how he looks because I don't want him to be scared. You know, I, I, don't, I don't want anything to, to happen to him. I don't want him to have to be conservative. He's a guy that plays the game so hard that he just sets himself up to get hurt. Even something as little as getting hit in the hand that you can't really avoid. It happened to Buxton last year, too. Guys like that that are injury prone for some reason it seems to be those guys that actually have to sit down a little bit when stuff like that happens and it's unfortunate it really is but I'm not worried about Mike I think he's going to come back and look like Mike Trout I, I don't think that's really going to affect him much the reason why I keep talking about it is because I mean dude he bruised his hand pretty bad. It swelled up pretty good on him. You never know how that's going to affect a guy moving forward. Like, is he going to be able to hold the bat the same way? Is it all fully healed? Is he, you know, pain-free, good to go? Did he get an injection? Is he taking pills? Like, who the f*** knows? So I'm just trying to worry about every little thing that I could possibly worry about because that's how I am when it comes to my players. And I just, I don't know, man. I, I feel confident in Mike Trout, but there's always that what-if factor that maybe he's not going to be the same for a little bit after the injury. I, You know, it could have been a way more severe injury. He could have broke his hand and been out for the year or a few months or whatever. But he's good. I think he's going to be all right. So let's just see. But my prediction is Mike Trout's going to look like Mike Trout. All right? So Trout's back. And... uh yeah, that's baseball for you. So we got 30 minutes of baseball content for you guys. I know now what you want to hear next is NBA content. So that's what I'm going to give you. NBA content. First thing to talk about is from two days ago. It's Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler dropped 45 points. 45 points in a killer game. 45 points. Can I keep saying 45 points? The Heat beat Atlanta, 115-105 in game two behind Jimmy Butler's career high for the playoff career high, 45 points. Now, Jimmy Butler is a guy that is going to perform for you. He is a clutch player. He is going to be better in the playoffs than he is in the regular season. That's just how he's wired. Okay, he is built for this. He has ice in his veins. He hits the clutch shots. He makes the plays and he gets your team wins when it counts. Jimmy Butler is one of them guys that you love to have on your team. A guy that can energize an entire locker room and make your team 
two levels higher than what it would be without him. Proof is in the pudding. Philadelphia 76ers' most stacked year, as far as their roster was concerned, was the year that they had Jimmy Butler. What happened that year? One shot knocked them out of the playoffs, which would have been the year that the Sixers could have won it all. That year still haunts my dreams. That shot by Kawhi still haunts my dreams. Jimmy Butler, Joel Embiid, back when Ben Simmons actually wanted to play, we had the best team you could have, and we should have won it all that year. We went out there and got Jimmy Butler, and oh, God. It, it kind of makes me feel some type of way because we're able to get hardened this year, and I kind of feel like I'm going to have a similar ending to our season. Now, the big news out of today a little bit before I actually got on to record this episode. And I know I'm going out of order here because I just talked about something for two days ago and I'm talking about something now. Joel Embiid in the last game, which I was watching when it happened, actually messed up his thumb pretty bad. So they're actually saying that Embiid could have possibly torn a ligament. So that's kind of a big deal. You know, the dudes, I mean, your hands are the most important thing in basketball, right? He's playing with some brace thing on his hand because he dumped his hand, you know? So I'm I'm actually genuinely concerned. Like if the dude's got a torn ligament, he's out there playing through it. Obviously, it risks, uh, you know, a further injury, uh, maybe a career changing injury for a a world-class player like Joel. I'm genuinely concerned. Because you take Joel out of the equation, the Sixers are fucked. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Joel Embiid is our team. <laughs> like, without Embiid, you're looking at, you know, they're going to double-team Harden and force him to move the ball around. And you're going to have to rely on guys like Tobias Harris, maybe Maxi, you know, Nyang, Danny Green, uh, Shake Milton, maybe a little bit of playtime in there. They're going to have to make shots. And, ah, man, that's stressful, man. Thinking about the idea that we make it out of this first round and then we don't have Embiid is heartbreaking. Because the way that we've been playing, as bad as we played in game three and still got a win, dude, having Embiid, that's a difference maker. That's the one thing Toronto doesn't have on us is they don't have an Embiid. They got nobody that can line up next to Embiid and actually guard this boy. Okay. So, He's the X factor. Everybody knows it. He's a league MVP. If he's not, he got robbed this year. I just feel like without Embiid, the Sixers are not the Sixers. When you think of the Philadelphia 76ers, you think of Joel Embiid. Harden's more recent. But for me, I still only think of Embiid. Embiid is our centerpiece. He's what makes things run. He is a, he is a machine. He is an animal. This dude is insane. One of the best basketball players on the planet. Without him... It's like if you take Giannis out and say, Bucks, go win a championship. They're not getting out of one playoff series without Giannis. And Chris Middleton just got hurt for them yesterday. So, oh my God, I just can't fathom the idea that we might lose Joel Embiid. Because there's no way we make a run without Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid is it. He's the reason where we're at. Would you take Embiid out, we're probably not even a playoff team. We're going to look like the fucking Rockets. You saw what happened when Harden was there. Oh, my God. It just angers me. 
So I'm genuinely concerned. That's the Jimmy Butler thing had to bring that up, of course. Let's keep talking basketball, all right? The Grizzlies in game two actually did beat the Timberwolves to tie the series at one apiece. Yes, I know more has happened since then. Let me get to it. We're going backwards, guys. The Pelicans then evened up the series with the Suns because Devin Booker got hurt. What are the Suns going to do without their best scorer? Devin Booker. Is Chris Paul going to shoot? Chris Paul doesn't shoot. Chris Paul makes plays. Chris Paul's not going to sit back and hit shots for you. Bro, I mean, he will if he has to, but that's not what we're looking at for Chris Paul, right? So... Brandon Ingram is looking great for the Pals, and the Pals come back and tie the series against the Suns. And I said, clean sweep. I said, clean sweep. And they already lost one. So I'm worried about them a little bit. Not really, but a little bit. And then the Bulls come in and beat the Bucks. I mean, come on, man. You can't make this up, right? The Bulls tie the series 1-1 with the Bucks. I called for a clean sweep. The Bulls didn't beat the Bucks all season. They went 0-3 or 0-4 against them, and then they lost again in the playoffs. So it's either like 0-4, 0-5, and they didn't even get close to winning any of those games. And then they come out and beat the Bucks In Milwaukee? Oh my God, what happened? <laughs> Pretty sure I watched that game too, like the end. Vucevic was playing great. DeRozan was playing great. Levine was playing great. The big three. Oh, man. The, the Bulls can be a scary team at times with Vucevic and DeRozan and Levine. I mean, I smell an upset. I smell an upset. Are the Bucks going to get dethroned in the first round? I don't know. I don't know. I said clean sweep, but the Bulls are looking like the Bulls. And they got three more home games in this series to win. So, hey, if the Bulls tonight at home look like I think the Bulls are going to look tonight at home, you're looking at a different series if it's 2-1 heading into game four still in Chicago. I mean, legitimate shot to win that series if you're the Bulls already. You already stole one from them in Milwaukee, so now you get three home games? Bruh. Bruh. I mean, bruh. The Bulls at home were 27 and 14. On a road this year, they were 19 and 22. They're a way better team at home. So if they just beat the Milwaukee in Milwaukee, the Bulls just took the edge to win that series in my book because they get three more home games. Milwaukee only gets two more home games. So they split the first two games in Milwaukee. You got trouble. Trouble's coming, baby. I like the Bulls. I like the Bulls to at least make this interesting after that game. Talking about not having Chris Middleton. Not that he's been playing too awful good anyways. But, but that's just crazy, man. After that, the Warriors obviously took game two against the Nuggets. Kind of as we expected. Warriors win their both games that they get to play at home. So no surprise there. Uh, game three then in Denver, they also were able to clutch out a victory. So now that series is 3-0. So that's pretty much locked up. I saw reports today that the Nuggets are saying, oh, we're not done. Well, buddy, if you weren't done, you would have won game three. Has a team ever come back from 0-3? I don't think so. 
Warriors are into the next round. Sixers are into the next round. That's, I mean, end of conversation. There's no way. Now, I'll say that and then it'll happen. There's no way the Nuggets come back and beat the Dubs. There's no way. You got Curry coming off the bench. Steph Curry's coming off the bench. Oh, my God. And scoring you almost 30 points a game. I mean, bro, come on, bro. It's not fair. Draymond Green literally takes over games and he doesn't even have to score points. Jordan Poole, Michigan, sharpshooter, uh, the next Splash Brother, throw him right in there with Curry and Clay. Clay looking like Kobe out there. Come on, man. Warriors are a force to be reckoned with. And if depending on how serious Devin Booker's injury is, if the Suns don't make it out of the first round, I got the Warriors winning the West. Easy. Easy winning the West, man. Easy. Nobody's competing with the Warriors in the West. They're going to the finals this year. As long as the Suns... As long as the Suns either lose in the first round or make it out of the first round and don't have Devin Booker, it's a lock for the Warriors to be in the finals. So if y'all want to bet on that, Warriors are winning the West. I'm telling y'all right now, okay? Now, I know I'm just taking the low-hanging fruit, but that's what, I, that's what I thought already. So nothing's really changed as far as the outlook on the, on the Western Conference. I do think the Suns and the Warriors are the two big dogs. But without Devin Booker for the Suns, I, they're not the Suns. They're not the Suns without Booker. Not as bad as if Philly loses Embiid, but it's still bad. So I'm concerned about the Suns, and I'm not concerned about the Golden State Warriors. That is a basketball team through and through. So moving on, uh, Ben Simmons. Oh, my God, I said his name. I'm going to throw up now. Ben, oh, God, I'm going to say it again. BS, BS might come back for the Nets. Is that going to matter? No, it's not. He makes no impact on the game whatsoever. You could say he's a good defender all you want, but he sucks at every single asset of the game. It's like putting your team shorthanded if you put him out there. It's literally like if you were playing a hockey game five on five and you take a guy off for the other team and it's a five on four. That's called a power play. That is what you get when you throw BS on the court. For the, for the Brooklyn Nets. You put BS on the court, you're down. You're, you're, you're shorthanded losing five, of, five on four for the entire time that he's out there. So he plays 12 minutes. Well, then you're playing a, full, a quarter of the game shorthanded. Keep that, ba- keep that man off the field. Keep that man off the court. He don't even deserve to be out there. Keep him off. Nah. Nah. The, the BS he pulled, the reason why his name's BS, the BS he pulled in Philly, he shouldn't even be in the league. He shouldn't even be in the league. The way that he acted, he is immature. He is not a professional. He does not deserve to be in the league. He can't even shoot to begin with. How are you going to put somebody on the floor? I mean, he's trying to be Draymond, basically, but he's a, they're trying to make him a glorified point guard. They've been trying ever since he got drafted. It's a joke. It's a joke. The only way that man actually does anything in the league is if you turn him into a power forward. And you make him play like Draymond. That's literally the only way that he does anything for your team. That is not a point guard. That is not a basketball player. Okay? He can do a lot of things. Okay, sure. I used to like him back when he was with Philly. But didn't take long for me to hate him. And I'm a big BS hater now. I don't like BS. And you got to keep that out of there, man. I think it makes the Nets an even worse team to have him out there. Like I said, shorthanded. For however long that man's on the court, they're shorthanded. I think the Celtics, 
I picked the Nets to win that series, okay? I did. But I'm already going back on that, and I'm saying Celtics, baby. Because I, as soon as BS goes out there, I'm the biggest Celtics fan ever. Just because I don't want that boy moving past the first round, okay? I know the Celtics most likely would beat our Sixers in a series because they're our kryptonite. But I would rather see the Celtics than the Nets <laughs> if BS is out there, okay? And I don't want to have to play against our old buddy Seth Curry and Andre Drummond either. So, to be completely frank with you... Go Celtics, all right? So, uh, now that that boy's name's being mentioned to come back on the court, which I didn't expect, I'm, I'm done with them boys. I'm done with them boys. Uh, the Nets can just get schooled from here on out by Boston because they're a superior uh, basketball team. So, uh, here's another report, a different series, but um, Luka Doncic is actually feeling good ahead of Game 3, and they have him listed as questionable. So, I guess it's technically possible uh, that he would play in Game 3. Oh my God, game three already happened. Holy sh... I'm behind, guys. Sorry. Uh, Dodgers did not play in game three, so update on that. <laughs> Sorry, guys. But the, the Mavs... Oh my God, let's talk about the Mavs. The Mavs won without Luka! Twice! Twice since we last talked. The Mavs are leading that series 2-1 to one without Luka. Oh my God, it's a revelation. You know who's a revelation? Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson is carrying the team. He had 41 points and then 31 points. The dude is going off and the, the Mavs are winning. Oh my God. I never saw that coming. Without Luka, I never expected them to win. But they're up 2-1 and what if Luka comes back? Oh my God. You're talking about a five-game series. They're going to win the next two if Luka comes back. Oh my God. So the Mavs, a real threat to get out of that first round and maybe make some noise. I still think the Warriors are easily the favorite in the West. Luka or not on the Mavs, but the Mavs could be legit, guys. They could make a couple, a couple round run here legitimately. So continuing on here for basketball news. So it does say here that Devin Booker likely won't play in game three or game four. Big deal. Because let's say they lose both games in, in New Orleans. They're down 3-1, dude. It's a 1-1 series. What if they go down 3-1 and then Booker comes back after missing two games? If he even comes back. Dude, that, that's a problem. The Pelicans could make some noise. And I never, never expected that either. So all this stuff I have never expected has already happened in the first Two to three games of these series. Like, this is absolutely wild. That's why the playoffs are so fun. Because you never know what to expect. And you're always caught off guard. And just seeing the craziest stuff happen. And that's why you got to love it. That's why you love sports. Because it's just unbelievable. To see all of the stuff that these guys can do. As human beings. They shouldn't be able to do the kind of stuff that they do. Like, they're freaks of nature. Like, before our eyes. Like, oh my gosh. I just, man. It's the competitive part. That's what, that's what you got to love about sports. That's what I love about sports. It's the competition 
aspect. That's why you love to play. That's why you love to watch and cheer for your teams because of the competition. You fall in love with the competition aspect of the game and then winning becomes the most important thing. And it is such a beautiful feeling to have a victory, to go out there and win a game or to watch your team win a game or to be in the arena and sense that energy when your team wins a game. It's, there's no better feeling. And then there's no worse feeling than losing. It's just, it's the competitor in us as sports fans. So that was completely off topic. I do sincerely apologize. Anyways, the next headline is that the Celtics rally from 17 down to take the 2-0 series lead against the Nets. So it was the opposite of what happened in game one. The Nets rallied back against the Celtics and didn't even win. The Celtics won on a buzzer beater. I thought the Nets outplayed them enough in the second half to deserve to win that game. I do. Kyrie was on. Well, game two, guess what happened? Kyrie and Kevin Durant were nowhere to be found. These guys couldn't hit shots to save their life. I'm pretty sure Kyrie finished in single digits and points in that game. So game two, they got outplayed and outclassed. And the Celtics are well on their way to winning the series now, but they're going back to Brooklyn, so we'll just have to see if the, if the dynamic of the series changes or not because that's always something to look forward to from the transition to game two to three. You never know what's going to happen when you switch from one turf to the other. Example, the Sixers fully dominated game one, fully dominated game two. They were playing in Philly. They crossed the border into Toronto and played in Canada in game three, and they looked like a completely different team. They looked horrible, actually. They still won the game. That was the worst I've ever seen them, and they still won the game. That tells me sweep. That tells me to get my broom out and clean the floor because that's what the Raptors are. They're shit on the court. We're cleaning it up, and we're moving right on to the next round, and then we're going to make some noise. As long as we have Joel, we're making some noise. I honestly think we have a fair chance against the Heat. You can count us out all we want, all you want, but we have a fair chance against the Heat if Joel Embiid's out there. That's all I'm saying, okay? So yeah, Celtics doing what you expect. But in that game, game three, that game between the Sixers and the, and the Raptors, as ugly as that was to watch and as bad as the Sixers played and as many times they turned the ball over, the fact that they were able to play the way that they played um, late in that game to rally back and they were down big at one point too, early and later, the Sixers, oh my God. They're a force to be reckoned with. Toronto's not a bad basketball team. It's not like the Sixers are playing the Pelicans or the Hawks, teams that barely made it into the playoffs. They're playing a good team in the Raptors, and they're dominating. The first two games, it was without question the Sixers were the better team in every aspect of the game. And in game three, even though they turned the ball over, they still, I mean, I Honestly, still believe they outplayed the um, the Raptors and they came away with a W. Um, Drake was making noise when the Raptors were up big in the beginning, even though they were down in the series 2-0. He was hopeful. He was over there making noise. But there's just no way the Raptors are going to beat the Sixers. I, I just feel like it's easy, clean sweep now at this point. Tomorrow, Sixers are taking this. They're taking it. We're moving on and we're going to worry about Miami, okay? So... Embiid hit that clutch three to finish him off, and um, yeah. I mean, what else can you say other than Embiid's clutch? He should have never took that shot, but I'm glad he made it. Um, yeah, crazy game. Extremely fun game to watch, despite all of the sloppy play. Very intense. 
Very fun. That was a great basketball game. And then, obviously, like we already talked about, the Bulls. Uh, DeMar DeRozan put up 35. Uh, sorry, 41 points for DeMar. And the Bulls beat the Bucks 114-109. to 109. <laughs> And um, Durant, then the headline for Kevin Durant, like we already talked about the Celtics and, and Nets. He admitted that the Celtics' physicality was an issue. Uh, he went 0 for 10 shooting in the second half. So that, that's very alarming. Very alarming uh, for, the, for, the, uh, for the Nets. And also, like I said, the alarming part is that they would actually put BS on the court because that's literally making them so shorthanded uh, in a series where they're already not the better team. So that's just stupid, but whatever. Um, Devin Booker, it actually says here that he's going to miss two to three weeks with that injury. So... And Doncic is reportedly going to come back for Game Four. Uh, Bucks Middleton out at least two weeks with a uh, MCL sp- sprain. Um, and then, like we already talked about, the Warriors did beat the Nuggets in Game Three to go up three zero. And um, yeah, Celtics Williams is coming back for Game Three too. Their center Robert Williams is going to come back. So. A lot of injury news there in basketball. Let's wrap that up one real quick, and then I'm going to get into a little bit of hockey here at the end like I normally do. Well, like I have been the last couple episodes. So Williams coming back for the Celtics is huge, especially since Durant is really struggling against their defense. They have ridiculously good defense. That's why I'm worried about the Sixers playing them. And I could legitimately see that being the Eastern Conference Final this year and us getting beat by Boston because Boston's very good in every aspect of the game. So, yeah. Good for Boston getting him back. Bad for the Suns losing Booker. Good for the Mavericks that they're winning the series and Lucas coming back for game four. Insane. So the, the Celtics are a lock, in my opinion. The, the Mavs, now that they're getting Luka back, I think they're a lock. I'm worried about the Suns and I'm worried about the Bucks. They're losing Middleton. I just, and I'm worried about the Sixers losing Embiid, but I know they're still going to make it out of this first round. It's just a matter of can he play through a potentially torn ligament in his thumb? That's insane. So I'm very worried about a lot of the teams I picked in this first round. And um, I have a valid reason to be. So we're just going to have to see how this plays out. I still say go Sixers. And let's see how the rest of these games go as as we move forward through it. Last seven minutes here, guys. I'm going to talk about a little bit of hockey. I might not go a whole seven minutes because all I want to do is talk about the Penguins because that's all I really care about right now. Um, also, I kind of wanted to mention the uh, the points race in the in the uh, regular season. So it's actually pretty interesting. So um, in hockey, so I don't know how much you guys know about hockey. Um, a goal and an assist are basically the equivalent to each other as far as actual statistics. So you get a point for a goal or a point for an assist, right? So your total accumulated points are a combination of goals and assists, okay? And they're weighted the same, like I said. The league leader in points for the last few years, or like ridiculously ahead of everybody else, has been Connor McDavid, which you've probably heard him reference to as McJesus. He was the savior of the Edmonton Oilers, drafted first overall in 2015. He has been their best player, obviously, ever since. Him and Leon Dreisaitl are a two-headed monster to be reckoned with, and even though the Oilers aren't really a fully complete team, those two guys pretty much carry the team as far as offensive production. I'm not a huge McDavid fan because he doesn't play defense. I don't think he's a f- like an all-round player to the point that he should be. He's obviously extremely talented, but he doesn't he doesn't have a well-rounded game like, for example, Sidney Crosby, who's the goat. Crosby 
plays on both sides of the, of the ice. He plays offense, defense. He forechecks. He backchecks. Um, he plays pressing defense. He creates turnovers. He makes plays, um, creating space, um, creates plays out of nothing for his teammates and for himself. Just all around, just a great player. There's not a weakness in Sydney's game. McDavid's weakness is playing defense. He's lazy when it comes to defense, and he uses his ridiculous speed only when he has the puck. So he's not going to go out of his way to try to back check with his speed to try to make a play on defense. All he cares about is the stat sheet, okay? That's my problem with Connor. He leads the league in points right now, but there's another player in the mix that's tied with him a guy by the name of Jonathan Huberdeau for the Florida Panthers. Huberdeau has always been a pretty good player, okay? I've always liked Johnny Hoob. Um, he, I, I really, really like his game. The way he plays the game is phenomenal. He plays on their top line. Uh, he generates the majority of their offense, plays on their top power play unit, and he's a true playmaker. He sets guys up way more than he scores himself. He does score goals, but he is... More of a playmaker. He sets other people up and makes just good plays. He's a good team player. And that's why I like him. He plays the game the right way. He goes about his business the right way. Unlike McDavid, who's very self-centered, selfish, arrogant, cocky, rude. I feel like Huberto's more of a leader than McDavid will ever be. And it would be really cool to see somebody else win that scoring title other than Connor McDavid. So the fact that... Huberto is tied with McDavid this late in the season for the points means that he has a legitimate chance to win this crown, um, to win the Art Ross. So I really like it, the fact that they're tied. And another dark horse to win it would be a guy four points behind, one of my favorite players, Johnny Hockey, Johnny Goudreau for the Calgary Flames. Johnny Goudreau is... He's very small, okay? The reason I like him is because my size is comparable to Johnny Goudreau when I used to play. Johnny is one of them guys that's just flashy. He'll go out there and just, like, you're just like, wow, when you watch this guy play. He is very fast, wicked shot, great playmaker, great speed, just all around just a great, great hockey player. A guy that you want on your team. I think he's a New Jersey native, to be honest with you. So the fact that Johnny's in this race this late in the season also is crazy to me. Huberto and Goudreau are two of my personal favorite players to watch, and they both have a legitimate chance to dethrone McDavid for the league lead in points by the end of the year. We have a few games left until playoffs, and when playoffs start, I'll be talking a lot more about hockey on this podcast, so hopefully you guys will be there with me listening because hockey truly has always been my favorite sport. And that will probably never change. There's just something beautiful about it. Something majestic about all of the contact and the physicality. That's what I love about football too. But hockey takes it up a notch, baby. It takes it up a notch. And the speed, oh man. It's a fast game. It's very fast paced. Probably the fastest paced sport. And it's hard to keep up with. So a lot of people get discouraged. But I'll tell you right now, playoff hockey might be one of the greatest things that you can witness in sports. Playoff hockey is nothing like it. So I'm excited for the playoffs. I'm excited to see who wins that point race between uh, 
McDavid, who's obviously the favorite at the beginning of the year, and then a couple of dark horses in Huberto and Goudreau trying to dethrone the king. Um, Sidney Crosby been playing great. Uh, Gensel got a hat trick last night for the Pens. Uh, Crosby and Gensel have had a ridiculous amount of points lately combined. I think they said something crazy like almost 20 points in like the last five games combined or some crazy, crazy stat. But the craziest stat for the Penguins and what I kind of led my last episode off or ended the episode on was I said, I don't know that the Penguins are going to be able to compete without Tristan Jari, who was their starting goalie who broke his foot there at the very end of the regular season here. We only have a few games left. Jari's not going to be back for the playoffs because he broke his foot. Our starting goalie now is Casey DeSmith. He was our backup all year, played very poorly at the start of the season, got slightly better as the season went on, but didn't get a ton of playing time because we used the hell out of Jari because he was an all-star this year. Great goalie. He has his moments, but he's overall a pretty good goalie. Significantly better than Casey DeSmith. But last night, Casey DeSmith had a, I think it was a 52-save shutout against the Bruins, who are a good hockey team. And the Penguins won 4-0 behind a hat trick by Jake Gensel and a shutout by DeSmith. I'm thinking to myself, man, we only got four games left in the season. Was it four? I think it's four games or five games left in the season. And we're looking pretty good, but pretty bad at the same time. Personally, this is what I'll end on. I'm not sure how I feel about what I'm seeing out of the Pittsburgh Penguins right now. I, there are good aspects of their game and bad aspects of their game. But what I do love is that they're playing as a team. Sid, Gino, Chris Letang, they're keeping the boys together. And they're making it work best they can. Yes, they've lost a lot of games down the stretch. But this team, I believe, still has a fighting chance to make a run this year. Thank you guys for listening. And we'll see you next time on The Double Move.